0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. I'm John Putterhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Joe Biden last night or yesterday afternoon at a photo op availability came in to take pictures of him with his competitiveness council or something like that. And then, you know, they have 30 seconds to yell questions to him Uh, reporters as they're on their way out. And uh, so they yell them and, you know, the president is under no obligation to answer anything that's yelled out to him or even to speak or to do anything. Uh, Peter Doocy of Fox news, the white house correspondent, Fox news said, uh, Mr. President, do you think inflation will be a political liability in the midterms? And Biden under his breath, as I'm sure most of you already know, said, dumb son of a bitch. You know, uh you know, in that kind of like, sure, you know, sure. Inflation's gonna be a inflation's gonna be gonna help in the midterms, dumb son of a bitch. Um, does this mean anything? I mean, I you know, I it's um We can talk about it in three different ways, one of which is I don't see uh, the entire press corps rising in outrage at Biden's um, abusing and cursing out um, a fellow correspondent, because of course, that fellow correspondent works for Fox, which they all revile. Um, So there's that press angle. Then there is the question of whether or not the question was fair. Or whether there was any point to asking a question in that way, and then the third is, what kind of behavior is this from Biden? Is it, it is it meaningful? Was he just having a bad day? Uh, is it you know is it the mo- moment when the mask slipped and the real Biden came out, or is he just you know a you know is he be, is he a querulous old man, or is he what? Why is he so defensive? Uh, why did he speak at all? That's my thing. They're yelling questions. He can just sit there and do nothing. Uh, Pierre Ducey says this thing about inflation. He can't contain himself. Um, and uh, you know,
1: all right, that's so. I've now posed well, this this way, Christine. Or so, go ahead. Well, I well, well this is hey, well. Yesterday, after this happened, uh, Christine sent around this poll uh, on our internal chat, NBC poll that said. Uh, the question was asked of Americans, uh, do you think Joe Biden is easygoing and likable? A year ago, 53% said yes. Uh, in January of 2022, now 38% uh, said yes. So this has been ongoing. I, I still maintain that it was, it was around the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle that he came out and day after day, Made himself extraordinarily unlikable. Reinforced that every with every press conference, um, uh, reversed the this this notion of empathic Uncle Joe, um, and it's a I think it means a lot because for Biden, especially in the wake of the Trump presidency, his supposed easygoingness and likability. Was one of the main features. That was that was the main appeal to to so many Americans, and that's not what's there. And at, the, at this point, I think it's it's been on display over and over again. We've seen him snap at several uh, press events, and uh, yeah, he's he's extraordinarily thin-skinned. We know this. He he can't keep his mouth shut. He's been look. He's been resembling Trump. We've we've kind of you know said this in all sorts of ways uh, recently. You know, with his attacks on the press, with his uh, facility with untruths, uh, and, his, and his temper and his nastiness. Well, and there's also, it's interesting
2: because uh, a lot of the people who were in the media, who, as you say, John, didn't weren't, you know, shocked the, about the norms violation. No. And the, and the, the fear and, and, uh, uh, upset nature of this for the do by for the for the record kind of brushed it off and sort of laughed it off and, you know, didn't make a big deal of it, you know, that if that would had been a, a correspondent from a mainstream network and Trump does it, it was, you know, a news cycle for for 24 hours. But the, they said you sh- you have to see the context. First of all, he called Ducey to clear the air. And and, you know, so that that that's different than Trump. And also, like, he's just not Trump. He's just not Trump. But the problem is the context does matter here. And Abe's right. This has been going on for a while. The reason we haven't seen more of this, which I believe is a mask slip real Joe Biden, is that he doesn't actually engage with the press all that often. You know, he had his first press conference in 10 months just last week. Like this guy is not really available to the press in the way many previous presidents have been. That's fine. That's a choice they've made. But when he does slip, when he's, in, you know, directly confronted with the with the rowdy press corps, he shouldn't be reacting in, in, in such a hostile way if he's under control and, and you know, not feeling defensive.
1: I have to have to be fair um I just remembered there was an incident in 2009 with George W Bush uh, where he pointed out someone from the New York Times yeah it was I 2000 f- that was during the 2000 campaign oh 2000 yeah. of
0: course yeah 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 he yeah, pointed Sorry, Adam. out um, uh, Adam uh, what was his name
1: uh yeah. climber Adam climber Adam climber right and now I see why he says to the because anyway yes and he called he called them a first-rate a-hole. Yeah. Um, Not to whoever was next. I don't remember. It might have been it might have been Dick Cheney Cheney. Cheney who said, yeah, big time. That was Cheney's response. Right.
0: Right.
2: So these Um, things can happen.
0: It's fine. They
2: talk about that in private. I'm sure all the time they're totally allowed to vent in private that. But the point is that he didn't have the discipline not to do it on a hot mic.
0: Well, I mean, the other possibility is that uh, we're all looking at this in the wrong way and that he intended to do this. That this is some version of um, this is some weird corkscrew version of George HW uh, Bush deciding he wanted to get into a fight with Dan Rather in 1988 about being, you know, whether he was a wimp or not, and yelling at Dan Rather. And then that was a sort of moment where he that was a that was a deliberate decision. So sort of Roger Ailes said you need to come out and, and and like get pick a fight with Dan Rather. Um, because that'll, you know, that'll help answer this image problem that you have what what if what if biden decided that he wanted to have a moment where he called peter ducey a son of a bitch we I mean, haven't really discussed that but, you because know, because that's mean,
3: crazy <laughs> i don't think that's even remotely mic. possible then he w- it wasn't a hot mic it was a live mic then he would have called mic. jackie heinrich who two weeks ago said the exact same thing about her questions as a stupid question it wasn't a stupid question nor was this a stupid question it was a hard question just because you assume the answer doesn't mean that the answer isn't valuable to voters. But Joe Biden was never going to answer that question because it's disadvantageous for him to answer that question. That is the definition of a hard question. So the outrage from the sectors of the press about this sort of thing makes little sense. But what we've been privy to since, uh, you know, this uh, a sarcastic outburst, uh, probably an intemperate moment. Uh, followed by his target laughing it off and him subsequently clearing the air, apologizing, whatever it happens to be, is perfectly normal. Normal in a way that I think we don't even recognize anymore as being normal. This is how human beings interact when you're well socialized and adjusted and you know, not a crazy person whose brain is poisoned by social media. Uh, this is all far too normal to be a political strategy, in my view.
2: Well, and I and the the thing is, though, I agree with that, but I also think that the people who move the goalposts on what is normal and the proper norms and how to treat the press are the press themselves who spent four years under Trump acting like they were political hostages every time they were doing their job and that they were constantly at risk for their lives. I mean, the the, the sort of self-importance and preening of the Washington press corps in particular under Trump has has changed the way that they think and talk about how those I agree, you know, a totally normal interactions used to be. It's a rough and tumble job, both for the president and the press corps that covers him. That's part of its appeal to the people who want to do that job.
0: Here, here was the thing about Trump breaking all kinds of norms, right? One of them was that Trump spoke to the press constantly. Biden doesn't talk to the press, right? There was a there where he, he this was the first press conference in 10 months. It was fascinating because my entire adult life, all the complaints from the White House press corps have been the president's unavailable. We have to go through the press secretary. We have to do this. We have to, it's not fair. We don't get enough time with the president. The president doesn't answer our questions. You know, we, we there aren't enough press. Corps. It's been 42 days since so and so's press conference, all this. Trump completely broke. He would have happily talked from morning until night at that podium forever. That became bad, right? he's using us as a whipping dog we need to stop showing the press conferences because we're allowing him to peddle misinformation stop showing the press conference stop showing the president speaking to the press because we don't understand how he's hypnotizing americans into into not you know running him out of town on a rail biden has been all but unreachable from by the press and uh where where's the outrage been about that that's the other thing if you think about it like 10 months between press conferences, and where's the, Mr. President, you know, the White House press, the White House uh, News Association, uh, you know, calls for a meeting with the president to discuss access and the impossibility of them ever getting any information from anybody or talking to him, they need his answers, what's going on, they want to have a meeting with the press secretary, they want to have a meeting with the White House chief of staff, the president is obliged to speak to the press corps, that is what would have happened in a, in a, in a situation in which they were not complicit in the idea that we they had to do whatever they could do to make this first year of Biden's um, a, a political success. Uh, it's a terrible job being a White House correspondent. People don't really understand this. It used to be like the signature, you know, star-making job, and every there is a star made every. And Ducey is now being made the star of this of this administration. But um, you sit in this uh, crappy little room, Uh, you can't really walk around, there was a time when they could walk around and sort of run into people in hallways. They can't do that after 9-11, particularly, they can't really do that anymore. Um, uh, The accommodations are bad, the hours are terrible. And, uh, and, uh, as I say, it used to be a way to really make your name and reputation and, you know, become a, a, a media star, it's much less, much less that now. And yet, They're allowing themselves to be marginalized and sidelined. And a guy like Ducey, whatever you think of the questions or anything like that, is highlighting what's going on at the White House between journalists and and Biden. And everybody in the White House Press Corps should be happy that that's happening, because it at least means that there's some uh, light, there's some pulse. Otherwise, it's just them talking to Saki, and she doesn't give any answers that are of any substance
2: well, they're a- also briefing editors at major outlets and producers at major outlets behind the scenes a lot so the white well, house that's is, always
0: happened to be it fair. has
2: but it sounds like it's it's more like anytime there's a crisis instead of like kind of putting him out there to answer questions that's their go-to is always to just massage from behind the scenes and hope that the story's tone shifts and also, I will one one point of contention to what you just said. I agree with it in the context of of a of a democratic president, but plenty of mediocre people made stars of themselves under Trump per, portraying the kind of brave liberal journalist Amici Dor. some of these people who like literally can couldn't file a decent story if their life depended on it, became media celebrities with profiles, you know, in politico right. and all this stuff because they because it was Trump, only because right. it was Trump.
0: Right. But that's what I'm saying. That's why it's so weird. So there's Biden and um they're they're being very reticent.
3: Well, the there is being
0: very reticent about their about the treatment at their treatment at the hands of this administration. And that is not common. I mean, you have to go back all the way to hmm, who, Barack Obama's first year when they were effectively his, um, you know, PR uh, department. I think Remember, he's like God, said Evan Thomas, the editor of Newsweek. He's kind of he's kind of like God, really, if you think about it. He's been the editor harder on Biden, Biden than Obama
3: they're already sure. harder they're they're already harder on biden than obama
0: right but, but there um, is an
3: assumption of his of the president's fragility that may subconsciously affect how reporters treat him i mean all of us watched that 2 hour press conference and it was painful by 90 minutes in where you started to witness the president drift off into orbit and struggle mightily with trying to stay you know on his feet behind that podium which is perhaps understandable but it's also the White House is, is projecting the president's fragility. I, we didn't talk about this, but I, I sent it to you guys late last night. And I want to bring it to the show today. Politico's playbook has a piece that suggests, you know, during that press conference, Joe Biden said, what do you want to do in year two? He said, I want to go to, out to the people. I want to travel more. I want to talk more to people outside the White House. I don't want to be in the White House anymore. Well, according to the White House, which spoke to people, spoke to Politico about this. The pandemic is frustrating uh, their are This strategy, not just because the president is assumed to be fragile and a 79 year old guy, um, but because it frustrates their pandemic message if Joe Biden gets COVID quote, some current former White House officials see a potential political fallout and policy disaster if the president were to contract the virus, even though he's vaccinated and boosted. COVID protocol critics and vaccine skeptics would have a field day with Biden catching COVID and using it to further undermine trust in the administration's efforts to combat the pandemic. So to translate that into English, the president is circumscribing his own schedule out of the fear that Republicans might pounce. Talk about See, giving me, them more credit than they deserve. The idea here that they're trying to trying to circumscribe the president's schedules because Republicans might criticize him, that doesn't make any sense to me, unless you really do think that this president is
1: very, very fragile, see, to me that's normal. Um, a president doesn't want to look weak, uh, especially one who already does. I don't. I don't think that's so crazy. As, yeah. Especially if they think want to,
3: that you, catching this virus, which everybody has or will, is weakness, then they've already lost the plot well we
0: can discuss that that's, that 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 gets to an interesting and larger point that we we we're, we're, we're going to talk about uh in a little bit um i what's interesting about this point is uh that it it indicates that the uh that the the um the base position i don't that's not the right the default position uh, of democrats is fear of omicron it's fear of the virus and that and that the idea is like people you know whose parents are old, including my own, like there's this, you know, they can never go outside, they can't go to a restaurant, they can't go anywhere, they can't do anything. What if they get it? What if they get it? What if they get it? You know, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. My parents are going to get it. They're going to, what if they get it? And there's Biden, he's the president of the United States, right? So, um, Omicron changes the dynamic of this because if you're vaxxed and boosted and you get Omicron, according to almost everything that we've seen, even if you're old, the effects are very mild. Should he get it and get Omicron, it would then that would be the breaking point for COVID hawkism, if you think about it. Right. I mean, that would be the moment at which you'd say, look, even the president, 79 years old, he got it. He recovered from it. It was fine.
2: But you're seven
0: years old. Wear your mask, you know, when you wear your mask, except when you take a bite of your of your um, of your lunchable.
2: that's the point right now where lots of states are now having internal legal battles over mask mandates, right? Governors or other officials are saying we're, we're going to make masks optional. The school districts are now suing in places like New York and places like Virginia to, to mandate the continued use of masks. And we did. We've talked about many times how. Joe Biden, who literally did a kind of promotional campaign about how if you get vaccinated, you can rip off your mask and then immediately went back to wearing masks at weird times, like walking alone on a beach in Delaware. He's got a mask on, but he'll walk up to a reporter and take the mask off. So, like, he's always been kind of all over the map with the masking just as an individual and as a symbol, but they still need the symbol of the masking. They still want that symbol. And that's being really fought out right now among the populace and so if he caught it after all the you know multiple masking all the time that would also be another sign not of political weakness I think more than physical weakness but I I think
0: there were two there are two interesting details about about Biden and travel there's that like Biden wants to go out to the country but they don't want him to because what if he gets COVID which as I say is, is is a is a reasonable thing to think in 2020, he's the president of the United States. If he wants to go out to the country, the idea that, you know, he shouldn't risk getting COVID, I think is pretty weird. Um, and it, it 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 shows weakness that he would use that, right? It's like, you know, uh, people get up and give speeches after they've been shot, you know, in order to show maintain their, their strength. It's like, I'm not going to let this virus keep me from going out and speaking, reaching out to the American people, you know, whatever, right? The other detail, which I thought is interesting, is that he has spent 31 weekends, 31 weekends in 52, 53 weeks at his beach house in long
2: weekends. I'm sorry to interrupt that like, he leaves Friday in the mid morning and he comes back Monday at like 11, like the long okay. weekends.
0: <laughs> OK, I don't care the where, wherever the president is, is is the White House. You know, he's never on vacation. There's no such thing as a president on vacation in that sense. He spent like 70 years trying to get to the White House. Why does he run away from it at the earliest opportunity? It's a giant big mansion. There's a staff of 800 billion people. What's going on there? Like, does he have some kind of a rejuvenation machine in the basement? I mean, is he, you know, does he, is it his tanning bed and his like in-house plastic surgeon? Is it like Dave? Is the real president in the basement and they like bring up doubles, you know, uh, so he can or, you know, he gets to go into a hyperbaric chamber or be like Boba Fett in the Boba Fett show and be in this kind of like water thing where he heals all weekend. I don't understand it. It's bizarre. And he's
2: not available.
0: Does I mean, it's it stink one stink to live in the White House? <laughs> like what? You know, I'm sure his house at the beach is very nice. You know what? You know what else is nicer? Camp David. He's only been there like three times. I don't, under, I, I, I'm, I'm losing, i losing, I there's an inexplicable level of behavior here. Why is he leaving? He doesn't seem to have meetings. People aren't going in and out. Of, like, you know, he doesn't have people in. There are no state visits. You know, his, you know, at some point someone is going to leave and write a memoir and we're going to know what was going on there. And he he, I think, is a relatively underoccupied. President,
1: in some fashion or other. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it it might be that he's is more fragile than we realize, and that and that might, or, or than we, or than has been reported, and 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 that also might have something to do with with their concern over his getting COVID, because maybe the concern is that it won't be so smooth, you know. And regarding that fragility and the reticence of the press on it, it's good to remember the 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 ton of articles about trump's sort of health and medical condition do you remember they were like you know he's obese e- he's obese experts and, uh, yes they would they would they would have way he MD, drank his MD, water he remember? sniffs he sniffs a lot he so he must have he must MDs be a Coke would addict. weigh in and diagnose him in the times and and psychiatrists and every you know and you know meanwhile joe biden it's just a fact can't get through a speech without you know, several indecipherable words, sometimes sentences. And this, this, you know, where where are the neurologists, you know, uh, you know, talking to talking to the Washington Post about that? I am, you know, if it should be the
0: case, and again, we'll know at some point if it should be the case that he's more fragile than than we realize. Um, You know, that's, that's bad. Like it's bad that, that we're, you know, 60 years after uh, uh, JFK was like jacked up on pain meds constantly because of his back and like, has a, having a doctor feel good, shoot him up and give him pills and doing this and doing that. No one ever knew Ben Bradley knew and covered it up because it was his friend and all that, you know, and like after, after decades of hearing about this and the question of whether or not it was really safe for us to have a president who was clear, who was addicted to painkilling drugs, you know, in the middle of like the Cuban missile crisis, that kind of, that that this is the sort of thing that you really should be able to know, which is why we hear about what happens at, at, at medical examinations of the, of the president, what the president's bill of health is. And when there's a procedure and all of that, and people got very paranoid and suspicious about Trump when he, Went to Walter Reed, and no one knew why, and all of that stuff. It becomes a whole thing. Um, if there's a cover up about Biden's health, uh, in the long run, um, it's uh, da- it's in the short run, it's dangerous because he is president. In the long run, again, the mistrust, the sowing of mistrust uh, in the in the simple interactions of the people who are elected and the you know and and the public um, is. is going to be pretty startling and you know we have no reason except for you know the evidence of our own eyes to say that there's anything going on there that biden isn't just biden and yeah he's old and a little querulous and that's okay he's an old you know john mccain was old and querulous and trump was old and querulous and that's what happens when you hit your you know unless you're Ronald reagan who seemed to be incapable of querulousness in his you know he Stopping president, I think he was uh, seventy seven when when his term ended, and he was just not a querulous person. But uh, so I'm I'm very much worried uh, that you know some of this that's going on. Not only can it can it trigger conspiracy theories, but if there is anything to it, uh, you know the the trust deficit in in government and in and in the elites who work around leaders. Then we really are in some sort of weird position where, uh, you know, a place like the White House be, is a palace court and, and, uh, and the people in it are there, you know, they're not serving the American people. You know, they are not public servants. They're being paid by the American people. They are still public servants and they are doing something uh, that does not comport with, you know, the, the best interest of the American people, not to be too pompous about it because that sounds kind of pompous, but you know, I don't know. Now let's get, let's go to this question of COVID and Biden and Omicron and losing the thread and all of that. Um, a, a judge in New York state did something interesting. Uh, he overturned the statewide mass mandate imposed by governor Kathy Hope. Um This is one of the most reasonable and uh, commonsensical decisions that has ever been issued by a judge, and it's got absolutely nothing to do with COVID, and it has everything to do with the law in New York State. People forget this. Andrew Cuomo had very significant emergency powers granted him by the legislature. And that's when he said you can have opened restaurants 32 and percent capacity, you know, while standing on your head and you have to wear your underwear on the outside so we can check and all of that stuff. And when he started getting into political trouble, the legislature met and withdrew the emergency powers from him. Kathy Hochul becomes government and she asserts an emergency power an emergency authority to put on a statewide mask mandate. She does not, in fact, possess because the legislature took it away from the governor. So she was lawlessly, and 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 with without, with you know, there was a there had been an explicit decision by the legislature to remove this power from the governorship. She is now said, "I'm going to go to the legislature and get this overturned and get the powers back or get a mask mandate on, which is what she should have done in the first place because she doesn't have the authority to do it." And it's interesting because. They've lost the thread. Like it's like uh, Omicron came and it's like, we're going to put a mask mandate back on. And nobody said, uh, Governor, you don't, you can't do that. Um, remember, like ele- nine, 10
2: months ago, Andrew Cuomo got his emergency authority removed from
0: him. So you can't really do that.
2: But what's happening, though, at at a district level at schools in New York, and I know this because a friend just sent me the the text of the notice she just got about whether the mask mandate remains for their kids. They are using the fact that they're appealing. The AG is going to appeal that decision that the judge just made about about her powers. And so what they're all doing is these scaredy cat COVID zero people are like, well, until we have the final ruling, we're keeping a mask mandate in place. Even though the judge was very it was very clear that, that we need to be moving away from these or having off ramps for these for these masking policies. So they're actually using it to continue their COVID zero fear-mongering, masking two year olds, um, even as both public opinion and legal opinion is shifting away from that and saying, you know, these have to have an end date. This cannot be a permanent policy in place for these children because we have so much evidence that the the risk um, benefit of this is, is clearly it's more harmful to these kids than the risk of COVID at this point. I, uh,
0: we, we keep talking amongst ourselves and the phrase that we keep using and a lot of people keep using is losing the thread. I first heard this nine or 10 months ago. In uh, February or March, talking to a psychiatrist in New York who said to me, when January rolled around, just around the time of Biden's inauguration, and we'd then been almost a year into this, and the vaccines were coming, but no one could get them yet, and scheduling an appointment was impossible and all of that, she said to me, people started to lose the thread, meaning people were actually undergoing severe nervous collapse, profound anxiety that rather than looking, rather than seeing, um, you know, a rainbow at the end of the, you know, at the end of the flood in the form of the vaccines and stuff like that, the fact that they were there, but they were just a little out of reach. It was going to be a couple of months drove everyone insane. That was a year ago liberals are now getting exactly this information same as us about omicron if they were paying attention beginning at the beginning of december it's now almost the end of january it's weaker uh it's if you're vaccinated it is not fatal it's not dangerous it's you know cases in which the the cases of danger are um uh, you know which in which you get it and it gets serious are, are extreme outliers. That was evidence from the first wave in South Africa. Then there was evidence that we had gotten it here even earlier than we knew, and that there were tens of millions of cases, and nobody was getting sick. Hospitalizations were increasing, but at nowhere near the level that we would have expected with the kind of case surge that we saw, and that all of the information here was that this was a, a A kind of weirdly positive development. The way people were going to get it, get antibodies against COVID without getting sick, and proving the value of the vaccine. We're now at a point at which, according to the experts, 99.5% of the cases in the United States of COVID are now Omicron. They're not Delta, they're not the original, they're almost 100% of cases. I mean, that is 100% of cases, 99.5% of cases. And that This is, as the WHO said the other day, and as people are saying through double talk, this is the end of the pandemic. Unless another variant breaks out that we don't know about and don't see, that's more virulent. But this is the end of the pandemic. And they can't, they've lost the thread. Because it's like, no, 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 we can't take our masks off yet. The kids have to keep their masks on. But it's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're now, we've now had two months of this. We all know all the stuff that you're now preaching, which is everybody better get a booster. Boosters don't help against Omicron. They're good. You should probably get one, but they don't help against Omicron. That's a whole, that's a non sequitur. You know, now in New York State, for example, if you want to go to the Metropolitan Opera or go some places, you need to show that you've had a booster shot. It's not just that you had you've been double vaccinated. You have to be triple vaccinated in order to go to venues and things like that. While we learn that the booster is ineffective against Omicron. Now, it may not be ineffective in the sense that maybe it makes it even less likely that you will get sick or it will really make it milder. They and 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 I don't the rhetoric's not changing. And it is they're they're crazy. This is this is actual
3: it's politically madness. suicidal. Yeah. And, uh, it, and
0: the <laughs> po- politics, right. I'm. Uh, we should move into politics. Well, but that's, right. I we, mean,
3: but that's the okay. that's if you have an instinct towards self-preservation, professional self-preservation. I mean, that should kick in, and it sort of is, but they know they can't break out of it. I mean, there's a times piece today about how some voters are ready to move on. And some voters, the the story outlines are a lot of voters um, to the extent that they uh, have more enthusiasm uh, for their course of action than those who want to maintain the status quo, the pandemic status quo in perpetuity. It presages an absolute disaster for Democrats politically. One that they have ample evidence is going to materialize because it did materialize in Virginia and New Jersey. They know this but they can't break out of it and they can't even be honest with themselves. Down in the, in the story, they have this comforting self-deception, quote, while schools are still largely open in the United States, many families are still dealing with the fallout from two years of classroom disruptions. Um, according to this database, which maintains COVID related, strictly COVID related disruptions, as of last week, roughly 7,100 schools in this country were experiencing disruptions. A school being open that is also mostly remote or periodically goes remote based on quarantine protocols is not open. Parents don't perceive that to be an open school. The distinctions between a closed school and an open school at that point are cosmetic. And to the extent that Democrats recognize the problem, they also refuse to acknowledge what the reality of the problem is. There's an interesting,
2: you know, it's funny because the they have touted themselves as the, you know, oh, we follow the science, we have to do all this. Oh, and, and really patting themselves on their back for their self sacrifice. You know, you, you there were plenty of liberal activists, David Hogg, being the most notable, who basically said, I'll wear a mask forever if it means people don't think I'm a conservative like it, I mean, the signaling is very clear now and entrenched. But what we also have now, there's a there's a new group that formed it made up largely of pediatricians and, and emergency room doctors and and um, epidemiologists called Urgency of Normal. And they've developed a toolkit for parents who need to be activists on behalf of their kids to do things like get mask mandates eliminated in schools for younger kids. To really do real risk assessment and how to be advocates in embracing the science, so it's this, it's it's an amazing thing. But the fact that they have to call themselves the group is called the Urgency of Normal. It just shows how far uh, far beyond uh, real risk assessment a lot of these people are. And you know that Michelle Goldberg, we 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 are tough on her a lot on this show, but she's got another opinion piece out in the Times today where it's like. You know, I mean, I feel brave because my everybody got it. It's not so bad. I mean, I really wish we didn't all have to wear masks and my kid didn't have to sit on the floor and socially distance during her elementary school lunch hour. But, you know, we just have to hang on a little longer. This is ridiculous. It's we need off ramps. Even if she wants to say, I got to do this for another month and then I'll feel happy. Fine. But we need an endpoint and parents are demanding that.
1: Okay, Abe, it's time for me. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just think part of the reason that these people have lost the thread is because people stopped articulating the endpoints. points. We, we, we stopped looking at what, what the end was going to be and how it was going to come about. At, for the first year, we had at least an idea in mind, whether it was realistic or not, about getting over this, getting vaccines, getting herd immunity, and then putting this behind us. And then all that became much fuzzier and I think that sort of freed people up to worry indefinitely. I want to talk about a study
0: um, that proves the opposite of what the reports say the study proved and shows how the threat has been lost. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk to you about our new advertiser today, <clears throat> Masterworks. Uh, with inflation at a 40-year high, Uh 39-year high and rising on top of COVID variants, there's never been a better time to rethink your portfolio mix with all of this roiling the markets. Today, one of the smartest investments you can make is to diversify your portfolio with fine art. According to Citi, art significantly outpaced the S&P 500 from 1995 to 2020, which means when the market drops, a well-diversified art portfolio might not. The Wall Street Journal called the art market one of the hottest on earth and the ultra wealthy have been diversifying their portfolios with artwork for generations and now with masterworks you can too. masterworks is democratizing the art market by allowing everyday investors to own a piece of iconic paintings from blue chip artists Picasso Warhol Banksy at an affordable entry point so while making great art is difficult investing in it is easier than ever. Even better, they're giving commentary listeners priority access to their newest offerings. Start building an intelligent portfolio today at masterworks.art slash commentary. That's masterworks.art slash commentary. See important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. So uh, the University of Michigan, uh, which has not been a, uh, a really helpful actor uh, in the course of this pandemic with... Um, in many ways, um, a study was done by, um, uh, at the university of Michigan that American medical association chairman, Dr. Bobby Mukamala, Mukamala, excuse me, um, says shows how important masking is. And in fact, I think it shows almost exactly the opposite. Um, So the study shows that in two different, uh, in October, I believe, districts where students were masked showed caseloads of 45 positive cases per 100,000. Whereas uh, schools districts that were unmasked showed caseloads of 73 per 100,000. And this then shows, you see, if you see a distinction that's so big, uh, you know, this is the effectiveness, not just to mass in general, but particular to the situation Dr. Mukamala said, okay? So I did the math, because as we know, I am a fake PhD in math. So what is the statistical, what is the actual difference between 45 out of 100,000 and 73 out of 100,000? So it's 450 per million as opposed to 730 per million, right? Sounds big, theoretically. Uh, school population in the U.S., if I'm, if I'm correct, is around 48 million. So if you extrapolate out to the entire population, uh, the unmasked, there are 36,000 absolute cases using this metric versus 23,000 cases of masked, of kids. These are cases. These are not hospitalizations. They are not deaths. They are cases. If we have been masking kids for two years in order to reduce the possibility across the United States of 13,000 cases, if this study is correct, what we have prevented is 13,000 positives Positives, not deaths, not hospitalizations. Gross number 13,000. Now, if my math is off and my math is wrong, please email me. I will apologize tomorrow. Um, the story you can find uh, is at, is if, you, if you Google, uh, University of Michigan study shows mask mandates at schools show lower COVID transmission rates. Okay. This story is not new. It's from October, updated in, in December. Um, that's it. 13,000 cases across the country. How many cases of children, how many kids have been hospitalized in the United States with COVID? I don't actually know that number. I know that the death toll from zero to 18 remains around 600. So we're masking children to prevent 13,000 positive cases. Am I is my anybody can anybody sort of like push back on me a little bit? Even I know we all all agree with this, so it's hard for me to call for pushback. But um,
2: well, but because the pushback, the pushback would be to play devil's advocate. We're masking the children to protect the adults. And that's always that that's largely been the case from the beginning until vaccination. But now that we have vaccination, they still want that protection.
1: Uh, John, to to further to to further extrapolate here, I'm seeing something that says the hospital rate for children under five is four in one hundred thousand. And about one in one hundred thousand in children five to seventeen. Okay, four and a hundred thousand. Okay,
0: zero to five. Mm-hmm. So that's forty per million. I believe there are twenty million. I think it's like there are four point eight million kids per per year. So that's twenty. Uh, that's twenty five million. Right times forty. That so twenty five times forty. Which is a thousand. So it's a thousand hospitalizations across the country for kids from one to five, a thousand out of 25 million. So you tell me, is that, does that, I mean, not a lot of places are masking two year olds, to be honest. Not a lot of places are masking, I, I, anyway.
3: places are masking children, period which is why this fight over Virginia lifting this mask mandate was so instructive because it sent everybody into an absolute rage because it's in their backyard, because they live in Alexandria. They live in Arlington. They work in Washington. They don't travel to Georgia. They don't travel to Idaho or Indiana or Kansas or Kentucky or Louisiana or half the union where children are not masked. They just don't want to know about it. And Virginia made them know about it. That's the problem.
0: Fair enough. Anyway, they've lost the thread. And now we should talk a little about the politics. Because this New York Times story basically says Democratic politicians thinking ahead toward November are starting to panic. And they really, really, really should. Because I think, I haven't thought this for a while. Noah, you, we, we have had a disagreement about this since the pen, since we started this daily podcast. And you've been right for the better part of two years. But uh, what you said is also right. Well, you said people just can't live under these circumstances. And you were, I mean, you know, it turns out a lot of people can, a lot of people wouldn't. There's been a real division in the country between people who will, you know, who who give into mandates and, and, and don't fight and uh, express pop, uh, express support for tough measures and people who don't want tough measures and all that. But the, I think we could be getting to a point where, two years from now, having been a supporter, this is my new analogy. You're gonna love this. I I dropped this on Abe yesterday, and it's a pretty saying that you were a supporter of the mask mandates could turn into the that you were supported the you voted for the war in Iraq when all of the bad outcomes. Start becoming inarguably clear. I mean, the stuff that we already know about anecdotally, but the, we will then have like four years of longitudinal data: mental health problems, suicide rates, socialization problems, retardation in school advancement and edu- and, and intellectual uh, intellectual attainment. All of that that will be inarguable because it will be the one. It's the you know it's a hinge fact, right? It is. You can't say, well, there are a lot of other things going on. No, there actually weren't any. There wasn't anything else going on. You can attribute this to there was before COVID and after COVID. And here's what happened to this population before COVID. And here's what happened to it after COVID. What do you think of that analogy?
3: We like it. I don't know <laughs> if it's true, but I like, I, I want to believe it to be the case. Um, I mean, I hate the Iraq war analogy because I, I'm still perfectly happy to support that exercise. I understand. I think, think it's justified retroactively. However, I understand the politics that you're arguing here. I just don't, I don't see Democrats getting to a place where they're going to be able to say that everything we did here was not valuable or necessary. And I, I don't think that's true, that everything we did here was in, was not valuable or necessary. I think what we what we as a society engaged in in the beginning of this pandemic and through most of the last of 2021 was very noble. We we truncated social and economic life uh, to protect the vulnerable among us, most vulnerable among us. And we succeeded. And all they have to do is settle on a narrative that is victorious. That says we, we did what we had to do and we did a great job. Congratulations. We're moving on that would have a profound effect. They can't do it because they're the most vocal activists among them really don't want to let go of this. But that narrative would have a profound impact on the American psychology of just seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, even though, even if that doesn't match their daily experience, to know that the political class has accepted the reality of this as being an endemic permanent feature of the near future of American life and saying, congratulations. Good job. I know you sacrificed a ton. It was worth it. Here's why it was worth it. They can't make the case for why it was worth it because they
1: can't declare victory. I think there's a hitch in the analogy, which is that we'll never know to what extent we succeeded or didn't succeed with these measures. We don't know what numbers would have looked like Without the measure, certainly through 2020. I, I think if we if we make it if we if we just make a division. The
0: division here is that data from the earliest point said that this pandemic uh, differed from almost every other such event in world history because it spared children, and yet because we have almost unlimited power over children. Because children don't have fully formed civil rights and because children can be you know can, can be mandated to do all kinds of things and parents can be mandated to sort of do all kinds of things for their children uh, the brunt of the enforcement mechanism uh, in terms of the disruption of daily life fell bizarrely on children who were at least at risk and that's where it comes down not were we inconvenience? not were adults inconvenience not you know because a lot of the inconvenience was mitigated right with uh unemployment support and enormous amounts of social spending and pp you know the ppa loans that uh, made it possible for businesses not to lay people off uh all of that stuff that uh that if you weren't, you know, like a small business with a, you know, front facing retail, like a restaurant or something like that, you can probably weathered it okay, like it was terrible and you don't want to live through it again. Uh, there was no mitigation for children. In fact, it was a kind of imposition on children that never stopped and is, and, and there is still, and they are still now the battleground. And uh, the people who say, leave my children alone, let, I don't want them in masks. They don't know what other children look like. They can't read people's facial expressions. They can't talk to each other in lunchrooms. They can, they, you know, for a year, you wouldn't let them play sports, leave my children alone. And here's all the reasons that we're going to have to say that what you did, what happened here was a crime against children are going to be inarguable in two years in a way that they are, in a way, because that idea that we're doing it to save the adults uh, still has purchase. And that the adults who are going to argue that this was necessary to save them are going to start looking Selfish, self-centered, and having done damage to children rather than help children—they
2: already do. I mean, this is why you see when when they're pressed, when leaders—I mean, Hochul, Governor Hochul was pressed on this about the mask wearing and the and the impact on children's development, and she just brushed it off. In fact, she was contemptuous of the idea. She said, "Oh, please, my toddler didn't want to put her sneakers on to go to school," but you know, she got over it. That contempt is what pardon my expression, really pisses people off. And you see it across the board, with in, in you know, particularly in blue states. But we have the evidence that this is harmful. And when it's presented to the people who are actually in charge of, of, of student learning, for example, teachers unions representatives who claim to want to be, who are very concerned about the children, of course. And you say, OK, well, what, what about learning loss? They're like, oh, there's really not learning loss. Again, children are resilient. Children are resilient. They say this over and over again. It's a poor excuse for what we know already We have evidence already of the harm done to children, particularly very young children. The reading gaps, you know, they can't they learn to read by listening and looking at people's faces and mouths. That early literacy stuff is hugely important. And they missed out on a lot of that. And again, the most vulnerable kids, the kids who already start behind the finish line and really need that extra support and help. And and honestly, you know, meals and socialization that they get at a very young age in public schools, they've for several years not had that. They are so behind and they, the to be contemptuous of that learning loss in particular and that socialization loss is just horrifying. I wanna say that contempt but, was no, really on know.
3: display. It was, was really on display during Joe Biden's press conference where he was displaying all these very dubious statistics to say essentially, what's your problem? That store shelves are mostly full, schools are mostly open. What is your malfunction here, voters? And you see that throughout Kathy Hochul and you see that in Michelle Goldberg's column where, you know, there's a lot of normalties to be had out there if you don't have kids. You know, again, what are you complaining about? That's that's their message to voters ahead of a midterm where 70 percent of the country believes we're on the wrong track, that all of you are just you'd expect too much of us. It's grotesque.
0: No, you have little kids. I have kids who are a little older and
3: Christine has kids who are a little older.
0: Are children resilient? Children are not resilient.
3: No, I just saw, I saw actually somebody say something very interesting that children, it's not that children are resilient, they just can't explain how you're hurting them. That's a very good way to put it. Children are not resilient. Resilience is a
0: quality that builds up over time. Now, if children are living through the blitz or something like that, they're neither resilient nor not resilient. They are living through. a a, you know a a catastrophe that they have no choice but to live through resilience is an internal quality resilience is not imposed on you from the outside and it's fascinating how children are resilient but and i hate to put it this way but like an obese teacher is not so an obese teacher cannot be expected to protect herself from covid except to have children who are vastly less equipped socially personally emotionally psychologically they are not resilient they cry 5 times a day that is not resilience
3: and anybody who grew up with you know a, a grandparent who refuses to throw away bacon grease because she grew up in the depression knows that these things leave a rather lasting impact on your on your socialization your maturation throughout your entire life Anyway,
0: I, I don't know how we, how we've come to rely on the resilience of children when our entire uh, pop our entire culture says that you know if a guy looked at you know if a guy said come up to my hotel suite, uh, you've been traumatized for twenty years and he should be fired forever. So children are resilient, but adults live with incredible trauma that is destroying them at every turn. I mean, I, I just. The cultural ins- the cultural insistence, that's right, on people who are too little to articulate what is being done to them. And then it is left to parents who are in some ways too emotionally wrought by the circumstances under which they live to be effectively articulate in challenging this orthodoxy that is built up, where where the the line is it's okay we can put more pressure on the least, the youngest, the weakest, you know, (laughs) of us, um, because um, man, we get to stay home and not work in school. You know, great. That's just fantastic. At least on Zoom, they don't have to wear a mask, right? I, that's why I'm saying I don't know how how this is going to play over time. I remember in the 1980s, we were told things do change, ideas change, uh, and uh, orthodoxies change. So uh, in the early 1980s, the idea was that there was an epid- epidemic of 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 um, clowns in daycare centers uh, raping children and using them in satanic rituals. All over the country, hundreds of cases, people arrested, insane trials, right? And it took uh, my friend Paul McHugh and a couple of other people to say, this is not happening. These are delusions. This is not how things happen. There's no evidence that this is taking place. And when people say that they have recovered memory, this is not how memory works. This is not. Now we look back on that and we think any rational person looks back and thinks, something very evil happened here there was a kind of uh madness that gripped everybody all about anxieties relating to children and raising children and daycare centers or whatever it was and that flipped very fast a lot of people were hurt in the process a lot of people were unfairly jailed people were you know their reputations were destroyed they committed suicide horrible horrible things until the culture snapped itself back into some reasonable position and said what on earth are we doing here how could anybody ever have believed this in the first place clowns in the basement raping children in satanic rituals that was mcmartin that was seattle that was new jersey i mean it was this was a real thing and and it ended and this is now a stain on our you know in, in on our recent history and that's why i think Similar things can happen with the COVID protocols. Even though one difference, of course, which may make it harder, is that uh, so many people are implicated uh, in in having in having uh, imposed these on on, on children that um, they won't be it won't be it's uh, it's not so easy to shift gears because you sort of have to admit responsibility for having uh, made this wrong call that did
1: so much damage. Um, you, you know what occurs to me, though, in this? I'm thinking of the Trump-Russia collusion uh, assertion, and I'll tell you why. We know now conclusively that there was no Kremlin-Trump plan to fix the election. But do people say, I didn't believe it? I think they say, no, I still believe it. So we may be in an age where you're not necessarily shamed into denying your culpability anymore. The facts won't necessarily change your position.
3: Not until it becomes a political liability within your own coalition. Right. There's no political liability associated with you know, just declaring fealty to that theory. Because, you know, to their and, and a lot of their minds, it's not sufficiently disproven, whatever, you know, but there, there's no political liability to that, unlike the Iraq War analogy, where it absolutely did become a political liability within the Republican coalition. So and, if it and, becomes and, a political liability the for Democrats, coalition. and it could, it could. No, the Democratic coalition, Barack Obama
0: beat Hillary Clinton in part because he was against the Iraq War and she voted for it. I mean, let's there are two different coalitions, but th- this, I think, is the ultimate point which is that um, I'm talking about, you know, is there a moral social shift and all that? If Democrats start getting panicked by the, by the, by the uh, data that show that um, COVID hawkishness uh, is bad for them politically come, come this November, that's where the rubber is going to meet the road. Because then you're going to have this, we're going to have Democrats in very, various places saying, can't Fauci just shut up, go fire him, get rid of Walensky. We you, These people are killing us. They're killing us. They're not there yet, but they could be there in a month. Omicron's gone. There's no new variant, and they're still saying we need to wear masks. What happens then? because they won't stop. Right. I mean, clearly well, it, they're not going to stop.
2: And it's worse than that. It's not the the people who are this, this. I was telling y'all earlier before we started taping the people who are the spokesman for like the HHS, this guy named Ian Sams, a former Kamala Harris staffer, is tweeting out, you know, kind of, you know, snarky comments about Ron DeSantis. Like he's the spokesperson for the HHS. There are so many things he could be trying to communicate with the public right now. And he's doing like snarky partisan, you know, BS that that's how they're spending their time. Again, to speak to this idea that the competence, the, the people's confidence that they are there is competence when it comes to these public health issues, there's a reason. There's a legitimate reason the public is not confident that the Biden administration knows what it's doing here.
0: So, um, we're we're back in this kind of weird no exit thing because we are having some version <laughs> of the same conversation that we had in you know April of 2020, and here we are in January of 2022. And we're sort of having the same conversation. When it, when, when is the punishment going to start? When, when are people going to be held responsible?
2: We're punishing again, our I listeners think, by repeating yeah, ourselves. <laughs> but I,
0: I, will, I will say this one thing before we go, which is that one of the reasons that we are locked in this uh, horrible cycle is that we have never held responsible those who are ultimately responsible. And there is a weird conspiracy of interest to not hold the people responsible, or responsible, and that, of course, is China. So one until we line up you know we're fighting amongst each other because this was this was you know I mean I, I don't know it's a hundred percent certain it's 80 percent certain or something like that that you know this was a lab leak escape thing that happened that China has lied about didn't tell anybody about didn't allow anybody to prepare for and has actually probably profited from though I don't think that was The intention, and we are we're 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 killing each other because we are not focused on the fact that the that this was done to us by a hostile foreign power, even if inadvertently, and we're going to eat ourselves alive and destroy our own capability to be a a serious United governing nation by the very nation that we need to be most worried about over the course of the next seventy five years. Um, It's a fantastic factoid that you know we're we're madder at each other than we are at China. we'll talk to you tomorrow for Abe Noah, and Christine I'm John Podhorts keep the candle burning